Please join me for a word of prayer. Oh God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open up our heart to your word and your word to our hearts. So that as we study your word, we may find you, Jesus, the living word, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good evening and welcome to Christ the King this evening. We heard two readings of this evening, one from Isaiah, one from Matthew. Do you recall those old puzzles that you'd have as children? One image set next to another, both images very similar, but a few key differences. That's a helpful way to think about the passages we have, from one from Isaiah, one from Matthew. There's a lot of similarities in these two readings and one key difference. So some similarities. The passage from Isaiah is taken from Isaiah chapter 7 and describes Isaiah's interaction with the king named King Ahaz. Our gospel reading takes place in, uh, records the interaction between Joseph and Mary, or Joseph and an angel. Some similarities. Uh, same family. Joseph and Ahaz are uh, distant relatives. Uh, they are both descendants of King David. Now remember, as we've looked at this passage in the prophecies of Isaiah, King David figures very prominently. And so the line of King David is continued. And Ahaz is the great, great, great grandson times. Uh, great five descendants removed, five generations removed from Ahaz. Joseph is some 15 to 17 generations removed from Ahaz. So the same family last name. Now, very different situations. Ahaz came to the throne uh, much about 100 years after King David. And he had a royal, he inherited a royal title, and he was set upon the throne for 20 years. Now, you know, by the time Joseph came along, that royal lineage had fallen into disrepair, and Joseph, of course, was a carpenter. Nonetheless, they're from the same family, same last name. Second commonality between these two stories, both of them encountered a very difficult situation. Ahaz's difficulty was political. We've thought about this as we've been in the book of Isaiah. He faced the growing storm clouds on the horizon of invading nations. Uh, national security, national threat, economic security. That was the problem that Ahaz faced. Joseph faced a, a problem of a different nature. As you know, he discovered that his wife or his wife-to-be, fiance, was pregnant with a child that was not his own. That's a problem. Both encounter a problem. Third commonality. Both have a reasonable way out of their predicaments. Now, Isaiah is a big book, and it's a complex book. But taking a little bit of a broader view of, uh, if you back up a few chapters or move forward a few chapters, it's clear that Ahaz is trying to fix his problem by making alliances with other nations. He's trying to secure his own nation's security through political and military alliances with other nations. Joseph has an, a reasonable way to fix his problem as well. You read it in chapter 1, verse 19, Joseph resolved to divorce his wife and to do so quietly. A reasonable solution to a complex problem for both of them. Fourth and final commonality, God spoke to both. Both Ahaz, through the prophet Isaiah, and to Joseph, through the angels, said, don't do it. Don't do this thing that seems reasonable. Don't make a military alliance, King Ahaz. Don't divorce your wife, Joseph. Don't worry, trust, and 
fear not. And that's where the commonalities end. Because Ahaz did not believe God, he did not trust God, and he disobeyed. Again, you may not have picked it up in our passage, but most commentators view this interaction between Ahaz and Isaiah as the decisive moment when the kingdom failed. So I quote from one commentator who writes, This resolute act of unfaith by Ahaz signaled an abandonment of God by the dynasty and opened the door to its eventual destruction. And that's exactly what happens. Ahaz proceeds. He makes the ill-advised political alliance. That political alliance fails, and within a generation, God's people are wiped from the face of the map. They cease to exist, and they're deported to Babylon. Ahaz does not believe, he does not trust, and he does not obey. Joseph, on the other hand, the descendant of David, the descendant of Ahaz, does. When he woke from his dream, we read, he did exactly as the angel of the Lord said. So if we were to summarize the moral of this story, as we compare and contrast the life of Ahaz and the decision, the decision he made and the decision that Joseph made, we could say this. In all of life, and especially when you face difficult situations, like the difficult situations they faced, trust God and obey him. I want to transition. Having observed this commonalities and made a general principle, trust and obey God. I want to think with you for just a moment about the difficulties that we are facing as a church family. I want to provide you an update with our space challenges. I want to do so for two reasons. First, as members of this parish, I want you to be informed of what we're, we're facing. I want you to be prayerful for this church. And secondly, I want to relate the difficulties that we are experiencing to the principles that we just considered. When you're facing a difficulty, what do you do? You trust and obey God. So here is our difficulty. Here is what we are facing. It's not quite as dramatic as a military threat on our borders, not quite as personal as a uh, pregnant fiancé that is by means unknown to us, but we are facing a problem, and here it is. About it on October 31st. A little critter, uh, we lost power to convergence, the place where we normally worship. Now, how did this happen? Lines, power lines that supply power to the building uh, at convergence are submerged. That's not very unusual, but a little critter had made a nest around those submerged lines. That organic material had rotted out the casing of the wires and caused an electrical fire. Now, that's a problem, but that's not a huge problem. This is not unheard of, and so no one likes to dig up an electrical wire, but this type of thing is done all the time. Unfortunately, the supply lines do not go to the exterior of the building of the place where we normally worship. Now, think, every building you've driven by, including your own home where you live, the power meter is where? On the outside of the building, because the power line from, runs from the street right there. There's only one building that anyone is aware of where that is not the case, and it happens to be the building where we worship. No one has ever seen this. So the power meter is on the interior. 
making the supply lines go underneath the building, underneath the slab, making it difficult to fix. Uh, the supply lines will need to be routed to the exterior, making it necessary to fix, as those supply lines are subterranean and after 70 years uh, are likely in need of replacement, and, likely, and making it very extensive as the immediate problems must be fixed, but the rest of the building brought up the code as well. So it's a little bit like peeling back an onion and every layer you peel back, you find that there's another uh, layer to address. The repairs are so extensive, necessary, and difficult that the plans require pre-approval from the city and then approval after the work is done. And that is the cause of the, the delay, not so much the work in itself, which is not Small, but it's not a month long. The, the, the delay is in the approval process. Now, Convergence originally told us we'd be back in our space at the end, their space, at the end of December. And they recently adjusted that timeline. I have to say I'm disappointed, but not terribly surprised. Uh, the new readjusted timeline is for January. Hopefully not the end of January, but certainly sometime in January. As you know, we've been very fortunate to have a space to worship here at Alexandria Presbyterian Church, and we'll continue to worship here on January 5th and on January 12th, same schedule, 9 and 5. And on January 19th, we will have to make some adjustments, at least for the afternoon service, to account for their changing schedule. So here's our problem. The lights went out. Again, not as intense of a problem as the ones we thought about from Joseph and Ahaz, but it is our problem, and friends, we all face problems like that when the lights go out, when you find yourself dealing with things that you just didn't think you would be dealing with. I really didn't think I'd be calling around on December 22nd looking for a place to worship on December 24th, but there it is. And for the next 10 minutes, I want to consider this simple question, the simple principle that we observed in Joseph, that was lacking in Ahaz, what does it look like to trust and obey when the lights go out, when you find yourself in a difficult situation? Because trust and obedience, it's a great bumper sticker. But what does it look like in the daily ins and outs of life? And I'm going to observe, make three observations and give three principles that we, and I don't use we as a royal we, I use we in reference to myself and uh, your vestry, Three principles that we've tried to live by as we try to trust and obey with the lights out. And I'll use lights out. What I mean is just that broadly when life throws you things that you didn't expect. So principle number one. We have tried to respond to complex problems with simple faith. All right? Meet complex problems with simple faith. So you have your vestry to blame for this, but in our vestry, in a church like ours, is a, your elected body. So this is uh, the body of leaders that you have elected in the church body. Your, your vestry came up with an idea that they would have institute a regular weekly fast, uh, time of fasting and praying for the church. So don't blame me, blame them. They picked the day of Tuesday because we happen to have a midday Eucharist on Tuesday, and so Tuesday is the day that they have uh, led this effort, and many of you participate in this, and I participate in it as well. Twelve hours, no food, uh, in which we try to be especially prayerful for the concerns of the church. Now, why do we do this? 
Do we fast and pray because we believe that God is like a gumball machine and we put in our quarter of obedience and we get our gumball of goodness? No, that is not why we fast and pray. Do we fast and pray because we, it makes us feel closer to God? Now, I don't want to be too dismissive, but the one thing I consistently feel after fasting and praying is hungry. <laughs> and the longer I fast and pray, you know what, the, I just feel hungrier. I don't even think it does a whole lot for my Christ-likeness, because not only am I hungry, but I also get grumpy. So why do it? We've taken on this discipline because we believe that fasting and praying, along with a few other dis disciplines like corporate worship, personal Bible study, generous giving, are a few of the explicit expectations for every follower of Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray. It's an expectation that we are going to be praying people. Surprise, surprise, when you fast, not if you fast. Fasting is a normal part of the Christian life. When you give, not if you give. And I think we could certainly add corporate worship, personal Bible study, as normal expectations of the Christian life. The normal disciplines. And we do these things not because we understand it. I don't understand why fasting, why praying. Not because we expect some immediate benefit. Why do we do these things? Because we trust God and we seek to obey him. You just compare and contrast Joseph and Ahaz. Joseph was just a simple carpenter. Ahaz, king, educated, sophisticated. Joseph, a simple carpenter, responded with simple trust and obedience. Ahaz, a sophisticated king, did not. And sometimes when life gives us complex problems, we simply need a simple faith which responds in simple obedience. So, when you encounter the complex problems of life, don't forget the simple responses of faith. Prayer and fasting, study and worship, generosity. That's principle number one. Principle number two, what does trust and obedience look like when the lights go out? For me, and I, I bet for most of us, when we, the lights go out for us, we have to be especially careful with our words. I find that when the lights go out, it is easy for me to be ungrateful. <laughs> uh, it's, when the lights go out, it's easy to dwell on what we don't have than rather than what we do have. I wish we had a church home, etc., etc. And it's easy to turn those wishes into grumbles. When the lights go out, I have to be mindful of my gratitude. Probably the same is true for you. As a church plant, we've been very fortunate. Most churches of our size and of our age are worshiping in a cafeteria. Packing in, packing out every day. We do not. We have been very fortunate. Not that our 
Arrangements been problem-free and not without its occasional inconvenience, but we have had a place for morning worship in a traditional church building with plenty of parking, space for our children, and an office space during the week. We have been very fortunate in our temporary dislocation. Alexandria Presbyterian Church found out our need on Tuesday, and by Thursday they had allowed us the use of their space indefinitely, free of charge. What does it look like to trust God and obey him when the lights go out? It means that I try to catch myself when I'm tempted to complain and remember specific instances of God's goodness to me. Further, it's not only easy to be ungrateful, it is very easy to be ungracious. Now, I believe that this electrical fire was not caused by the negligence of our host. I do not believe that, the, uh, I, and I believe that they are doing everything they can to fix the problem as quickly as they can. And my senior wardens share these sentiments. But even if I thought otherwise, and I don't, even if I thought that their negligence caused the problem, even if I thought that their laziness was the cause of delay, and I do not, it would do me no good to talk to anyone other than them about that. It is easy for us to be not only ungrateful, but critical and ungracious about others, especially when the lights go out. I've heard it said that when we gripe about others, it is equivalent to drinking poison and wishing the other person would get sick. And it just does not work. The only person that is hurt by our grumbling and our complaining about other people's is other people is ourselves. We would do well to learn from the example of Joseph, and we know precious little about Joseph. What we do know is revealed in this in this passage. He resolved to divorce his wife, but he resolved to do so quietly. And that's a very important descriptor. He wasn't going to drag his fiancé's name through the, through the mud. And I simply don't want to be a church that complains and criticizes. I think, I know I, and I imagine we, must be careful about broadcasting our complaints or voicing our criticisms at all times, but especially when the lights go out. Third and final. What does trust and obedience look like when the lights go out? We remember that detours are not roadblocks. Detours are not roadblocks. Uh, one of the memories I cherish about my father is his diligence. I've mentioned him before. He passed away about a year ago in October. He was a uh, very industrious person. He was a home builder of airplanes. He built three airplanes, one in our garage, two in a hangar, which he likewise has built. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in July of 2018, and I visited in August, and he was unable to continue on the work that he had been doing, but he had set up a little table, and on that table he was uh, building little model airplanes, those little SDs uh, with the liquid glue and the decals. He was building them for the grandkids. Now, he wasn't doing everything that he wanted to do. Believe me, that was not what he wanted to do. But just because he couldn't do everything did not mean he couldn't do anything. And I find 
that when the lights go out, it's so easy just to throw up our hands and say, well, I can't do it. I can't do anything. I found out that the schedule would be delayed. And it was a disheartening day. And I thought, gosh, we need to cancel this or cancel that. And just not true. No, we can't proceed with everything as we have as a church, but just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we can't do anything. Detours are not roadblocks. And as a church, to the best of our ability, we will proceed with normal ministries of the church. Further, we are exploring all possible locations for future worship, just in case. Further, we are engaged with productive conversations with our host convergence to see if we can come to a more stable arrangement moving forward. When the lights go out, one response of trust and obedience is to try to turn those lights back on. Trust and obedience, not trust and passivity. Someone once said, pray like it depends on God and work as if it depends on you. So here are three principles that we have tried to follow. None of them we have tried to follow perfect. None of them we have followed perfectly. And there are certainly more things that we could be doing. But first, meet complex problems with simple faith and simple obedience. Second, try, try, try not to broadcast our complaints or our criticisms of others. Third, will not fall into the trap of thinking that what is only a detour is actually a roadblock. Just because we cannot do everything does not mean we cannot do anything. And so we come to a conclusion. A great name, Emmanuel means God with us. And God was, was with Ahaz. God spoke to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. But Ahaz did not believe and Ahaz did not obey. God was with Joseph. God spoke to Joseph through an angel and Joseph believed and Joseph obeyed. We must ask ourselves at all times, but especially when the lights go out, that simple question, do I believe that God is with me? Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy that God will be with us. That is what his name means. Through Jesus, through his spirit, he is with us. He is with us now, and he is with us when the lights are on, and he is with you when the lights are off. And because God is with us, you and I can respond with trust and obedience, whether the lights are on, or whether they are off. I invite you to take just a moment and consider an area in your life in which the lights are off. And just ask yourself, what would trust and obedience look like there?